Shalom, and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. This is Dave Nickel from Rock Israel in Needham, Massachusetts. This week, we're talking about the week's Parsha, Parshat Bo. Perhaps the most difficult time of day in my house is getting the kids out the door to school in the morning. On the days that I take them to school, all I really want is for them to be ready, coats and backpacks and masks affixed, uh, shoes on their feet, waiting patiently for me outside, lined up and at attention. A parent's dream is to tell their kids, let's go, and to have everyone outside within a couple of minutes without any major drama. Doesn't seem like too much to ask, right? Well, as any parent knows, it never happens this way. Someone will need or want help putting on their shoes or can't find their mask or needs to draw one last picture before leaving. Chaos always asserts itself in some measure. In this week's Parsha, Moses prepares the Israelites for leaving Egypt. He has them literally get their shoes on, or their sandals in this case, and get their walking sticks ready in hand so they are ready to go when the moment comes. But unlike my instructions to my children on school mornings, Exodus 12 is not limited to practical matters. It's not so much wait by the door while Moses grabs the keys to the Red Sea as much as let's talk about the calendar and the detailed instructions for remembering this moment across countless generations, also matzah. Even while redemption is still future tense, they're not even out yet. They're commanded to sit and eat. Despite the fact that they haven't even left slavery in Egypt yet, there's a meal with rules and regulations, the first Seder before the Exodus. We can't even wait for the bread to rise, and yet there's time for a communal sacrifice, a public display and a memorial, and dinner. Even before their redemption, they are beginning to act out their role as God's witnesses. Now what can we learn from this somewhat unexpected ordering of events? For one thing, it is a clue that the Exodus is not fundamentally about freeing slaves, as we might understand it today. The freedom narrative is certainly part of the picture, but it is subordinated to a greater purpose. The opening verses of our Parsha fill out the bigger picture. This is from Exodus 10, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers, in order that I may display these signs among them and that you may recount in the hearing of your child and of your child's child how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I displayed my signs among them, in order that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, it's the beginning of Exodus 10. You can almost imagine Moses saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, go to Pharaoh because he's not going to let us go? How does that make sense? And it doesn't make sense unless there's a greater purpose beyond one people's freedom. Rabbi Russ Resnick recently commented on Parshat Vayera about how this greater purpose includes Israel's calling to God's service, our Avodat Hashem. Freedom, like justice, truth, equity, honor, and love, is not an end unto itself. Rather, it's a concept that requires some context to be meaningful. For example, is justice an eye for an eye or turn the other cheek? Notice that in the Hebrew, God does not demand that Pharaoh free the Israelites, but rather that he send them, send them off to serve God instead, ve'avduni. Is freedom simply serving the right master, or is it fulfilling some kind of destiny? If it's the latter, 
Who decides that destiny? Such concepts as freedom and justice are useful for serving God, and God demands that we prioritize them. But pursued in a vacuum, outside of the context of our relationship with God, they can become idols on one hand or blunt weapons on the other. Meted out by humans, one person's justice is another's oppression. Freedom's dark side, as we can see today, is an epidemic of atomization and loneliness. You want equity? Ask those who spent time in Soviet gulags or those who went under the guillotine in the French uh, Revolution. Ask them about liberty and fraternity. And what is justice to the many Americans incarcerated for minor crimes who would have walked away free if they could afford a decent lawyer? And love? While God may be love, love itself is no God. If these lofty concepts are only tools or signposts on the way, then what are they pointing to? If freedom, love, or justice are not the ultimate goal, then what is? Well, the one thing worthy of seeking, and the one thing that cannot, in the end, be grasped, God's very self. Of course, you may say, how is seek God more practical than seeking justice or freedom? In some sense, it's, it's less practical. What is more ineffable than God? How do we reach out to the one described by the Kabbalists as Ein Sof, without end, even being even beyond the most broad description? Uh, description? If Moses could not behold God, how can we? This is where faith comes in. For many people today, it is easier to believe in the existence of God than to believe that we can have a relationship with him. But if we can, it probably looks the way it was described by King David. A Song of Ascents of David Adonai, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes lofty, nor do I go after things too great or too difficult for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in Adonai, from this time forth and forever. That's Psalm 131. There's actually great freedom in recognizing what small cogs we are in this infinite world. Put yourself in the place of our ancestors the eve of the first Passover. The fear and anticipation must have been overwhelming. It might have been a relief to start thinking about acquiring a lamb and the other supplies and reviewing the regulations to make sure it's done right, getting your phone and googling hyssop. Performing meets vote, following commandments, even if we don't understand them, provides a concrete way of connecting to God, making us into divine instruments of redemption, even if it takes great faith to believe that our small actions matter. It is certainly incumbent on us to weigh the effects of our actions and to take seriously our obligation to do justice, speak truth, and act out of love. But if that is too big for us, and on some level it is too big for us, at the very least, we can observe the Pesach Kihilchato according to its regulations. If it is too overwhelming a responsibility to be God's witnesses on this earth, at least we can sing praises of him daily and say Shema morning and evening. We are too small to see all the consequences of our decisions. The big picture is beyond us, but we have the marching orders that we need right now. As the descendants of Israel, our calling is our task. It is too small a thing to be redeemed from the house of bondage. A greater calling is on us. 
This is why the act of redemption is inseparable from the giving of the Torah. Perhaps there is a lesson for me as a parent as well. As I bustle children out the door to school, it would probably help to remember that getting to school on time is not itself the most important thing. How we do it also matters. Can I do it without raising my voice? Can I summon the wisdom to take the time to teach them to treat me and their siblings and others around? Can I stop for a minute and take joy in being with my favorite little people in the world, even as my task list piles up? Well, as the psalmist says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul. O Israel, put your hope in Adonai from this time forth and forever. This is Dave Nichols signing off and wishing you a Shabbat Shalom. For more commentaries, visit umjc.org slash commentaries.